Do you sometimes wonder how you could truly have an impact when it comes to diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging? How do you know you are moving in the right direction when it comes to becoming a more inclusive individual? As diverse as two peas in a pod brings topics such as ethnicity, genders, sexuality, religion on the table. We talk about research and science, but also emotions, feelings and vulnerability. We discuss allyship, advocacy, privilege, but most importantly, we talk action. Because without action, we stay still. And when it comes to diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging, stillness is never the answer. Welcome to As Diverse as Two Peas in a Pod. In this episode, I have the pleasure to welcome Joe Santana. Joe is the futurist executive coach and mentor for diversity, equity and inclusion leaders. He is CEO of Joseph Santana LLC, a company that owns several brands dedicated to developing diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging leaders who are the CDOs and ERG chairs in national and global businesses. Joe is the chairman of the CDO Power Circle, the host of the ERG Power Talk podcast, and more recently the author of the new DEI and ERG Frontier. His mission, his why, is to help these hero leaders change the world by making the way so they are developed at all levels and in all parts of the organization, easy, accessible and affordable. Welcome to another episode of As Diverse as Two Peas in a Pod. Welcome to another episode of As Diverse as Two Peas in a Pod. Today I have the chance to have a, a great guest with me. Uh, welcome, Joe. My pleasure to be here, Julian. Thanks for having me. I, I can't wait to have this conversation with you and hear more about your thoughts. I mean, lots of wonderful things you've been doing. So I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to it. But before we dive into the topic, um, I want to ask you simply, what's your story? My story. So I'll tell you how I got into uh, DEI and some of the things that I'm doing now. Originally, I was a line executive who ran an outsourcing operation for this company, international global company. And we had about 300 people that worked with us providing various services to clients. And in the outsourcing business, if you want to grow your business, you have to develop leaders because every time that you, every time you secure a new piece of business, you got to put a new leader in there mm -hmm. who knows your practices and processes and can bring those values to the client. Uh, even though we're using the client's employees or we've taken on the client's employees, the leadership structure has to be ours. And Back then, you know, when I was doing that work, at a certain point, I started running into a challenge in terms of my leadership bench or developing leaders so that when we close an account, we could put a leader in there. And what I found was that this challenge was growing at the same time that the number of women that we were hiring was growing. Mm -hmm. And so I started to look into, well, what 
you know, what's going on? Why is this happening to us? And what I found was that most of the men that came into the organization came through the technical side. Mm -hmm. And in order to become a leader, they got training that taught them everything, including the administrative side, such as help desk and logistics that out their understanding of how the company worked and they prepared them then to take on larger responsibilities. Most of the women that were coming into the company were coming through the administrative side. Mm -hmm. So they were coming in through the help desk and through logistics. There was no training program to expose them to the technical side. So unfortunately, this created a situation where if you came into the technical side, which was what 80% of the men did, you had almost a limitless ladder for growing and developing as a leader. Mm -hmm. If you came in through the administrative side, your ladder was kind of short and you didn't have those opportunities because there was no corresponding training program. And if we included the women in the training program we had, it didn't help them because it was only going to teach them what they already knew. It wasn't going mm -hmm. to teach them what they didn't know, which is the technical side. So we ended up creating a other training program or another track. That track enabled people to ride along with people that were technical, learn a little bit about what they did. And once we did that, it opened up the doorway for leadership on the other side. More women became leaders uh, and our revenue went up double digits every year after that because we were able to secure accounts and very quickly put people in. And for me, that experience immediately sold me and showed me that it was possible for an organization to shortchange itself by not having equitable and diverse inclusive processes. So I got more involved in that area. I started looking for more areas. Where, where else do we have unsupported pockets that are creating these blockages? And lo and behold, I didn't know it, but I was working my way into the diversity and inclusion space. And a couple of years later, the organization wanted to have a practice throughout the entire country that did that. And rather than having it housed in HR, they wanted somebody who came out of the business. So they asked me to do it. And it just became not only a labor uh, that I enjoyed doing, but a real passion for me and had quite a lot of success in the area. And then later on, when I left corporate, I decided to continue training and developing leaders in that space, because I think that that space has a lot more value, not only for people, but for the organization and for everyone overall, uh, if we pay attention to it and we and we properly address it. Wonderful. And it's, I mean, I, I love how that, that realization came through and actually really going from a very concrete challenge into how do you turn it around to make it like uh, something that is, as you said, very helpful, I think, for the leaders within the organization and ultimately for the organization itself as well. So... Yeah, Julian, what I, what I was going to say is that I always knew that this was an important topic, but to your point with that realization that I had of a concrete way that it connected. And once I saw that, I started looking for other ways that it connected in other ways. Mm -hmm. So rather than looking for, rather than looking to answer the question, how do I make a business case for diversity, equity, and inclusion, what I would look at is 
when I was looking at an organization to work with them or within my own uh, corporate role, I would look at the, the organization or the setup and I would ask myself, what elements are missing here that if introduced would improve this organization for the sake of the organization as well as the people in it? And that was kind of a different question than just looking for a business case for why this should be supported mm -hmm. it was more of looking for how is this how is the lack of this affecting the organization and how do we how do we address that in a way that's beneficial to the people and beneficial to the company and everyone uh, associated with it no definitely and and one one of the things i always find interesting in that space and you can i'm sure you have some great examples as well but um, a, a lot of the, the things you read about what is being done um, at an organizational level when it comes to DI is very at the surface. And what I hear in, in your story and, and the example you shared is really how we go much deeper. And we you, you talk about indeed not just the organization. It's not about how do we make an organization more diverse, more inclusive, and just have that kind of big message that we put out there, but how do we look at the people as well, how it's going to impact them, and ultimately how it's going to create um, really like a, a true change within the organization. Yes, and and with that change, Julian, it also creates more opportunity for everybody. Mm -hmm. And I mean everybody in the organization. So I'll give you an example of one of the ways that I look at this that I think is is uh, it's a slightly different perspective. So a lot of and a lot of the practices that we see that you're referring to, the idea is from a HR standpoint, let's look at what we can do to increase the number of women that we're promoting into leadership. Let's look at what we can do to hire more people from underrepresented groups, right? And in many cases, whether they express it or not, people who, let's say males, who are not underrepresented and other people in the organization look at this and they say, oh, wait a minute, you know, I've been working very hard to this particular job and this practice or this whole thing is talking about taking that and making it more available to another group of people in order to correct something that was done that was wrong years ago and so forth. And I think that when we approach people from the standpoint of taking their pie and cutting it into smaller pieces so that we can give to others, there's a, there's a resistance to that. But if you look at the organization as a whole and you say, you say, you look at it and you say to yourself, how is it that the lack of diversity, equity, and inclusion is affecting this organization? If you start with that question, you might find things like, for example, uh, you can't fill, as I did, as much business as you could if you had a bigger bench, a bigger leadership bench. You cannot sell a product to a particular demographic. Uh, let's say women don't buy that product as much as men, or people who live in various countries or come from various cultures may not buy that product as much, the product that you sell, because it's not 
fashioned in a way that's appealing to them. If you had more people in the organization who had the perspectives of these women, of these people that are underrepresented or these other groups, you would be able to expand your total available market. If you expand your total available market, now these opportunities that you're giving to women, these opportunities that you're giving to underrepresented people are not being taken from the same small pie you've mm -hmm. grown the pie and because you've grown the pie you are now even if you get even if you're sharing slices with others your own slice grows a little bit so when you present it from that standpoint everyone in the organization can see how they benefit as an individual as an organization as opposed to just taking a finite thing and saying let's subdivide it even more which to most people zero-sum thinking says oh if julian gets more than i'm going to get less or if we give more to other people then julian and i get less so this uh what, what i say is that dei needs to be a management practice that looks at how to benefit the business by growing its footprint growing its competitiveness in a way that benefits everybody that's inside the company then everybody understands what's in it for them mm -hmm. and for the organization as opposed to feeling well we're doing this for another group of people at our expense yeah no and and it's a very good point you're making that 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 element of what's the benefit for me ultimately is extremely important indeed and and i think that's where and i, I mean i see it with the, the the people i work with just simply individuals in coaching that's that's the basis of coaching we need to go and find that intrinsic motivation what is it that is gonna make them say or do um, something that is gonna have a better impact and make a change and create that change for other people when they don't really need to change themselves um, but it can have an impact on on the on the world around them and the environment around them. And, and I think that's a very, very interesting point you're making. How do we find a way to express to those people who don't necessarily see the benefit at first, how is it going to benefit them in the long term uh, for them to be able to, to support initiatives like this? And I think that's that's a big challenge a lot of HR people, I think, have in the organization get that buy-in from everyone in the organization because I, I don't think you can be truly inclusive if not everybody is buying into it yes and and in order to do that 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 support has to come from outside the hr organization mm -hmm. that support has to come from the business itself looking at this in a different way and approaching it in a more holistic way it can't just be a change in the hr organization mm -hmm. and the hr organization reapportioning from a small finite pie and i think that's really important because most organizations and most people uh, based on the way that we've grown up and the things that we've learned tend to think zero sum we tend to think it's like a, it's like any sports game in order for there to be a winner there has to be a loser if i get something that means that someone else doesn't get uh whatever that something is but 
organizations that are really successful in this create a situation that's more win-win where the organization grows and creates more opportunity for everyone. And in that rising tide, you know, the people who are underrepresented, the women and so forth, they're going to go up, but so is everybody else. So everybody then feels like, okay, we're building something bigger that benefits all of us by bringing all of these other people in, as opposed to now we have to share our resources with a larger crowd of people, which is what zero-sum thinking, and I always like to say, zero-sum thinking is the enemy of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Mm -hmm. If you're in an organization where everyone is thinking zero-sum, and you come in and you get hired and you're working with HR or some group and you're talking about how we're going to hire more women and so forth, you're going to get quiet resistance, if not overt resistance, because people see that as more of our resources have to be shared with more people. If you get the organization to think in terms of non-zero sum, we're going to grow the resources, we're going to grow the boat as a result of bringing these people in. Now these people are an additive to the organization and to everybody who's there, as opposed to being others who are going to vie for the same resources. I, I love it. And it's it's so interesting, actually. I never thought about it like this, but uh, I think that's 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 definitely something I'm going to keep in mind, that, that zero sum and how do you do step away from it? Because I think it's applicable in, in so many things of life, um, because as you said, I think naturally, probably as human beings, this is how we think. Um, but yeah, that, that's definitely something I'm going to put on my uh, on my list of things to reflect on and how can I <laughs> apply it in my day to day life as well. So going a little bit more in, in concrete, um, I'm an HR person, I want to do something, I clearly realize that I need to do something. Um, and I don't know where to start. I come to you and I'm like, Joe, I don't, I don't know where to start. Where would you start in, a, in an organization to, to create that change? Yeah, I think one of the first places to look to create the change is, as, as, as I mentioned before, look at the organization and ask yourself, what market opportunities is this organization missing? as a result of its current state. So if the, its current state is, it doesn't have that many women in leadership, or it doesn't have that many people of a particular demographic or group that are part of leadership. It doesn't connect with all the employees that it has, even if it does have a diversity of employees, it doesn't hear all those voices. Mm -hmm. What is that translating into? What missed opportunities are there? If you're an organization who makes decisions, like for example, most recently, a lot of organizations decided that they wanted to bring everybody back uh, after the vaccine. And, you know, they, they, they listened to a few people who said, it's very important to bring everyone back because it creates a stronger corporate culture and it allows people to have the opportunity to run into each other in the hallway and spark great ideas and so forth. So yeah, very important. We've got to bring people back now that we've got a vaccine. What wasn't heard was the voices of women and in some cases men also who are parents of children that were going to schools 
where perhaps the school still said, you know what, we're not ready yet. You're going to have to learn from home through your computer. So now these people had a dilemma. There are no childcare facilities. They have a child that's old enough to go to school, but certainly not old enough to be alone. And they're being told that, well, now it's time to get back to work because we have a vaccine. There was a disconnect there. Why? And, 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 and why was that disconnect there? Because they weren't listening to those voices. What was the result? People quitting, the great resignation that happened here and that continues to happen, that was one of the drivers, not listening. Uh, other, other things that happen also in organizations, in one of my most recent books, I, I talk about the story about a, a, a pizza company that got sued by a blind person who has a scanner or, or, or a reader uh, to read computer screens because the pizza company had created ways for people to order pizza online, but they hadn't put the right pieces of software in there that enabled the scanner to read. So this person could not order a pizza online, even though they wanted to. And they pled their case. They sued the company. Uh, it was here in the United States for violating their rights under the Americans with Disabilities Act. The case went to court. It went for a long, long time in court until the Supreme Court took the last appeal from the company and knocked it down and said, no, we're not going to listen to this. And as a result, the company ended up paying millions in restitution to this person and others in this class action. They ended up having to spend money to change their software. They ended up having to do all these different things and they spent tons of money. And I calculated that based on how much they charge for a pizza, based on how much profit they make on each pizza, based on the size of the market that they control, they control over 20% of the market, that they would have made hundreds of millions of dollars if instead of going through a lengthy lawsuit and finally having to make the changes anyway, mm -hmm. after going to court and paying damages, if they had just been responsive and created the right hooks so that this particular customer on the outside could buy their pizza. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, this company, if you looked at their website, has a bunch of different ERGs in it and groups, including groups for disability. What happened? They weren't listening to those people. They weren't, they have them there and they're, they're having festivals and everything and celebrating how much the company cares about this. But the leadership was not listening to this. If they had been listening, they would have saved themselves millions of dollars in expenses and made hundreds of million, millions of dollars in revenue. So my point is, I look for that first, like what is this company missing? If they sell cars, are they selling to women as well or do men buy their cars while women don't feel like those cars are for them? If they sell a particular food product, are they selling it as well in other countries like South America as they are here? What are the opportunities that they're missing by not having these other voices? What whether it's loss of employees, loss of business, or just a general poor decisions that are made because of blind spots. Once you identify that, then from that you can work back and say, okay, if we increase the number of women in the company, the women in leadership or people of this underrepresented group, this is what they can contribute that will help us 
to function better that will help everyone who's in our company. And furthermore, as we as we do this and we create these greater opportunities and our footprint grows, everyone in the company benefits from it. So the business case creates itself by first identifying the specifics of what's going on in that organization. And then we go to the HR part. If you go to the HR part first and say, okay, we need to hire more women because we don't have enough women. We need to do this. This is like the tail trying to wag the dog. The dog is the business, right? So we first have to understand what is it that's missing here? And, and you'll always find things that are missing. And how is it that we can fill those by being more diverse, inclusive, and more equitable. And then after that, you work your way back. So instead of using as a business case, well, McKinsey says that companies that, you know, do blah, 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 make more revenue, or this other report says, you know, that if that women on the board are really good for the business, the most powerful way to communicate this is to find specific ways in that specific business that this is impacting them and how changes can make it better for them, the people who are the stakeholders in that business, as well as the employees, as well as the populace in general. Wonderful, wonderful. I mean, I, I, I love these ideas and it's true that it's, it's, it's quite often indeed that we see that the, the, the approach actually has been, I don't know if I would say taken upside down or as, as you said, like with the tail I and mean, the image of the tail and the dog is a good, very good image, but indeed, yeah, taking it, taking it in the wrong direction at first. Um, and again, I mean, good, good example you gave there where there is so much money um, that, can, that can be lost uh, or not made by actually not doing it right. I wonder actually how many pizzas that represents that whole amount of money that they've lost through the lawsuit. I think that would impress my daughter very much who loves pizzas. <laughs> I, I actually do the calculation in the book. I don't, I don't have it in front of me right now, but in one of the chapters, I do the calculation and it's like this huge $100 million number versus the lawsuit. And it just, it's an example of, how we are losing money and losing opportunity for everyone uh, as a result of, of, of some of the practices and the lack of the practices. And you know, Julian, I think that one of the things that creates that or unfortunately drives that is the fact that in most organizations, what triggers leadership to say, oh, we have to do something about this is the need to comply with certain laws. So for example, the government turns around and says, you need to have more women. Uh, and we're going to set up, you know, I think in Europe, they set up a number at a certain point yep. for leadership and for boards. Uh, and Or in the United States, they have to report in how many people they have that belong to various categories on an annual basis. And so what happens is leadership sees this and they go, oh, this is about people and about this. Let's give it to HR. Mm -hmm. Then HR takes it and HR's focus is how do we comply? How do we fill out an 
affirmative action report that shows that we're doing the right thing, that we're making an effort, or you know, how do we reach this particular goal, this particular number of having 30% women in a in a in a management team. And what's not looked at is how does this, how 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 does this actually affect the business beyond you know the 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 studies that are done that say well 30% growth and so forth well that 30% growth or that 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 increase in revenue or these different increases they don't come by happenstance they don't come because i've hired so many blacks so many asians and i have so many women and voila my revenue goes up it happens because of strategic thoughtfulness in terms of what do we need as a company and how do we leverage all the people that we have here in order to be able to expand the total available market or our ability to serve a larger a larger group uh, that one of my clients is a, a health and hospital organization called freighter and they basically leverage the groups that they have and the voices of the different people that they have in the organization uh, at all levels including leadership in order to be able to attract the best talent uh they uh, you know un unlike other organizations that have been having a great resignation they've been having a great hiring because all that talent that these organizations are losing because they don't listen they're going to companies like freighter because freighter does listen uh instead of instead of just serving one sliver of their community their health and hospital organization listens to these different voices and finds different ways to serve different communities, whether that's the LGBTQ community or women or African-Americans or, or, or Asians, it basically listens. And as a result, it expands its ability to serve its, 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 uh, its patient base. It expands its ability to provide opportunities for its employees. And it expands its ability to understand and continue that growth pattern uh, by engaging the entire community around them. But that requires a switch where now you are leveraging HR as a as a partner in doing this, mm -hmm. as opposed to saying to HR, here, you own this, do it all on your own. And then HR within its limited scope, because it can't change who you sell to or who you serve, it can only deal with the employees. Basically what it looks at is things like, well, how do we create a program to hire more women? How do we do this? How do we do that? How do we redistribute the resources that we have? Because that's the domain of HR. And, it, and it's extremely interesting, actually, you're saying that, I mean, you saying it out loud, gave me that realization, we are asking HR to do that work. But actually, if we want to have a, a strategic vision and approach that actually is going to impact the entire organization, we're asking a small group who is ultimately not really diverse, and in some ways inclusive, if it's just HR, to actually roll out a diversity program and we're not including the other departments and how it's impacting them and whoever else inside and outside of the organization should be part of that bigger discussion. Um, and as much as I'm sure most HR teams want to do the best job ever, we're not giving them the tools for success by just telling them, go and do it on your own. 
um, we're not even creating that, that, that diversity within that specific initiative that is about diversity. Exactly, exactly. It's an uphill fight for people within the HR group in many cases because they're, they're literally, you know, asked to do this. And in many cases, the best that they can do is look for compliance or look for ways to make the employees that are there uh, more engaged all the different things that HR does to manage people and to help people become more engaged with the organization. But what they cannot do is they cannot motivate the business person to engage in this as part of their business. It becomes a, hey, a person who heads up operations, you need to have more women on your management team. And that's because some spec out there uh, from a study says that if you have more women, you make better. It all sounds very fluffy and very, you know, smoke and mirrors. Whereas if you involve the operations person, let's say the salesperson, and you say to the salesperson, okay, let's, let's break down your sales by demographics. Let's break down your sales by region. So tell me, how come you're not how come our product is not selling as well here? How, mm -hmm. come, how come this particular group is not buying our product or our service? What perspective are we missing? What is it that we are not doing that we could be doing that could expand that market? Who do we need to talk to to do that? And then we roll back and then we also engage HR and say, hey, you know what? We want to be a top producer in this particular area and we need more perspectives and this area and now there's a there's a better partnering one there's one pharmaceutical organization here in the united states that several years ago they started engaging their uh their resource group leaders mm -hmm. in learning why their medications uh did not sell that well to certain groups uh that you know in the population of the united states so when you know when you go to a doctor and the doctor prescribes a medication that goes to a pharmacy the pharmacy prepares it but if you don't go to pick it up or i don't go to pick it up it goes back into inventory mm -hmm. so they can track that and they can see like wow there's a certain group of people or groups of people who get a script for something which is the product that we sell but they never come and pick it up so mm -hmm. as a result they're not part of our market even though potentially they could be and this particular drug that they sell could help them so they started getting people from various communities to ride along with salespeople, to ride along with uh, the reps that were talking to the doctors and to others, and to learn more about these different communities. And what they learned was that in certain communities, in order to sell a product, um, you have to present it in a particular way, or you have to include family members. Certain communities are more oriented to the group as opposed to individual decision-making. Uh, they also learned that some of the advertising that they were doing very intensely in certain channels were, were only being seen by certain groups and not seen by others. So they found out what channels or what type of programming this other group watched, and they started investing. Uh, they started taking some of the investment from here and moving it over here in order to spread uh, their message out to a broader audience. You know what the net result was, Julian? $1 billion in increased sale of their 
medications. Wow. So that pharma company made $1 billion just by listening to other people. And now it becomes very clear to this company this is why we need to have more of these people in leadership. This is why we need to have more women doing it. it all becomes very clear because they could see it. Oh, this is so when we have our strategy where we decide, hey, we want to grow our business by 20%, this thinking about who's at the table, who we're mm -hmm. going to be engaging has to include all these diverse pockets because that's part of how we get to that strategy. And now HR has a better platform to stand on mm -hmm. when it puts its programs in place to do what they do because now that's happening in concert with things that the business is doing as well. Makes sense. Makes complete sense, definitely. Wow. Um Lots of really, really interesting things already, but um, I'm sure, and I'm sure you have plenty of others to share. Um, you have a podcast, you have a new book as well. Uh, what are some of the other learnings that you, you got? Because I know the podcast for you as well is, um, if I remember well, a platform to be able for you to kind of listen to some of these uh, people out there that are working in their own fields as well. And, and, uh, and I think it brought your, one of your books to life as well through that. So what are some of the, the really, really interesting learnings that you, you want to share with us that organizations should definitely be hearing? Yeah, one of the things that I mean, I love doing the podcast. I also have another group I meet with chief diversity officers. And we also have these sessions called Sharpening the Axe, which is exactly like it sounds. Uh, and the idea for Sharpening the Axe came from a quote from one of the American presidents, Abraham Lincoln, who once said that if he had six hours to chop down a tree, he would spend the first four sharpening his ax. Mm -hmm. And that makes a lot of sense because if you take a blunt ax and you whack a tree, you could be there for hours and make a little mm -hmm. dent. But if you take some time to sharpen that ax, you hit it one or two times and it comes down, right? So uh, that's, that's another group that I meet with. And essentially, you know, I love... I love teaching and coaching people that are leaders in this space, but there's, as you probably know, as a, as a coach yourself, there is a reciprocal relationship because I learn from them just mm -hmm. as, you know, they'll learn from me and I bring in guests and we chat about different things, but in the process, I also learn a lot by having conversations with people that are in these jobs in corporate roles right now. And one of the things that I was following very closely a while back was this whole idea of how technology was affecting the world around us, how it was changing businesses. And originally, I was going to write a book on how artificial intelligence is impacting the workplace. But over the last year and a half or so, after I did the research for the book, I realized from conversations with different people that I had on the podcast and on the other Sharpening the Axe program, that the need was bigger than that. It's the need was how is all this rapid disruptive change that includes AI, robotics, and all these other things, how is that changing how we uh, how we work and how we how we live and what does that mean for DEI practices uh, specifically? So an example of that is is this. 
prior to the pandemic, only 6% of the people working in the United States work remotely. A full 94% reported to some work site or office to work on a regular basis. After the pandemic, 35% of the people that were in these workplaces became remote. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and people who had to show up had to do even bigger shifts because you couldn't overpopulate uh, certain buildings and so forth. So that created a change that accelerated something that we were moving toward, which is more remote work. Right after the pandemic, about 24% of those people remained remote. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was an increase in the number of people that were working shifts. And there's also been an increase in the number of people that are working completely asynchronously. They're not in the same place, nor at the same time. They work by communicating with each other through things like doc, through email. And now there's another application called Loom that sounds like Zoom with an L in front of it that people uh, in the investor community are putting a lot of money behind that allows totally asynchronous uh, communication and partnering. Mm-hmm. So, so clearly these investors think that this is going to take off. But what that means is that our workplace that used to mean 94% of the people were in one place. In that workplace, many HR practices, many of the DEI practices, many things were built around the premise that everybody is in this campus. Well, yeah. that premise is no longer true. So how do you maintain a diverse, inclusive, equitable population uh, and even other HR practices or people practices, how do you now maintain those when you have people that are spread out through a workplace that's four dimensions across? Mm -hmm. Now, those dimensions are not brand new, but what's happening is that in the past, you had 96% of everybody, right, in the same place at the same time. And even if you ignored the others, which a lot of people in the other spaces felt ignored, it was only like a small percent. That's not true anymore. So how do you, how do you create practices that now create a culture, create equitable and inclusive practices around a distributed workplace. The workforce itself is changing. A couple of years ago, almost everybody who worked for a company was an employee with maybe a few temps when someone was out on maternity leave or someone was out on, you know, because they had an accident or they were sick, right? Today in the United States, 40% of the workforce is contingent. They're not Mm -hmm. employees. They're temps. They're, they work uh, as contractors, et cetera. And that number is projected to grow to 50% by the year 2030. Okay, again, the question, how do you then take practices, put practices in place that engage people and create a culture using practices, not like the ones we had in the past that assume that 90% of the people are employees, but practices that take in the reality that maybe half of your people are not employees and you can't ignore that. It's too big a number now. So again, and now you have AI, which is the thing that I started with, Mm -hmm. making decisions about who gets hired, how much they should get paid, how they should be promoted, what projects they should be on. There are eight AI tools that are growing exponentially every day that take over all these decision-making roles. And those AI tools in many cases are more biased 
than people. So we're spending millions of dollars teaching people about unconscious bias. In the meantime, the decider as to who gets into the shortlist is no longer the person you train. It's a machine, mm -hmm. right? So how do we address that? So those are the kind of things the book looks at is how do we address rapid exponential change that's happening now so that we can get ahead of the curve. And it's happening so fast now that it's not enough to wait to go to the conference and talk to your colleagues and learn about the next best practice. Now we need to be proactive and we need to be like futurists that look ahead and see what's coming and prepare for it before it arrives. So uh, that's what the book is about. And the, and the podcast and everything else really contributed a lot to it in terms of giving me the opportunity to talk to some pretty uh, mm -hmm. smart people that were you know, on the ground and engage. I have a live audience when I do the podcast. So after I do the interview, I also listen to the kind of questions that some of the audience members ask, because mm -hmm. those give me clues into the direction that things are going. And uh, yeah, it's been great. But I, again, I mean, the idea behind the podcast and the sharpening the axe and those programs is I feel it's really important to provide training and to provide development and to provide insight to people who are in the field of DEI at all levels from the mm -hmm. CDO, the executive sponsor, the resource group leader, all, 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 all of them. But in the meantime, I'm also the recipient of their wisdom as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that book is basically a combination of my research and their insights that have shown me that, you know, it's really important that we start to prepare for this now, because if we don't, if we don't, Julian, what may happen is we may end up living in a world that looks more like the 1950s because of the machines and how they're being codified, by whom they're being codified, mm -hmm. and what and, and the, the way that they're being uh, used and trained to make decisions. That in the meantime, while we're working in this world over here on 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 the things that were happening for the last couple of decades, this new world is being built. Uh, in, in using these other tools that will change everything that we're doing. And we need to get ahead of that if we want to keep making progress on DEI. And it's going to come fast as well. I mean, you were talking about 2030 for 50% of the population not being an employee. If we look at that, 2030 is going to be around the corner. 2050 is going to be around the corner as well. So you're right, I think. There's a lot that needs to be done now and to be thought about. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad that we have people um, in this environment looking into that and thinking about what are some of the things we can do as organizations, but as individuals as well, to make sure that we're, we are ahead of the curve and, and we're thinking what's next, what's coming next, and, and what do we need to do to make this environment and this world more diverse and inclusive. Yeah. And to your point, Julian, in terms of speed, just think about this, right? In 1919, around that time frame, the Spanish flu virus was first identified. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until the 1940s, three decades later, that a vaccine was developed. In, 19, in 2019, COVID-19 first appeared. 300 days later, a vaccine was developed mm -hmm. and scientists are now talking about creating a vaccine 
in a hundred days. So to your point, the speed of change, the speed of all these different things is compressing, 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 and exponentially becoming faster. In Tokyo, they opened up a cafe with robot avatars serving the uh, the clients. Mm-hmm. Less than 20 months later, a real restaurant was open doing that, a real cafe. So in the 20-month period, we went from a lab experiment to an actual practice. And what that means is that Today, AI is scanning resumes. In a few companies, they're actually doing the initial interview through chat. Mm-hmm. By next year, that will be commonplace because organizations will see the cost benefit of having a machine do that because yep. a machine can conduct 100 interviews at the same time mm-hmm. and, and very quickly prepare the minutes and the notes and present them to the decision maker. So the speed of change, Change is compressing faster and faster. And that means that we have to become nimbler in terms of understanding the implications of those changes for our efforts. Otherwise, our efforts will be falling behind, as Mm -hmm. it were. Yeah, absolutely. Very true. Thank you. And thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I'd I'd like to ask you a, a last question. I know there is like so much we could cover and it feels sometimes we've just scratched the surface, but uh, but the great thing is we have your blog that we can follow. We have your podcast. We have the book as well. So we can we can still dive deeper. And I hope maybe to have you again on the podcast as well. But bringing it maybe as a last question from the maybe the corporate environment, something that sometimes feels a little bit um, big to approach for each individual. Um, what are some of the things that, uh, or what would be your advice when it comes to me, let's say, as part of my organization, to support that change and support that growth in becoming a, a more diverse, inclusive, and equitable organization? What can I do as an individual? Yeah, I mean, I think I think that everyone in the organization can be and should be involved, um, and and everyone, regardless of what role they're in, can contribute. One of the one of the ways that people that are within the organization contribute sometimes is by identifying opportunities to create more equity. Uh, a, a lot of times, I and I think that and I think that. One of the things that helps is is educating yourself or learning what to look for. Um, A lot of times, let's say, for example, you're a woman and you're joining a sales organization in a company. It might be good to look at the practices and the processes that are in place and ask yourself honestly, does this support me as fully toward my success as it supports my male colleagues? Mm -hmm. And I will tell you that the chances are you're going to find a lot of opportunity for improvement. Why? Because most organizations and their practices and policies, especially here in the United States, they were built back in the 1950s when most men had a stay-at-home wife and the pricing of everything, you know, houses and everything was such that one man with one salary could generally afford to have a wife at home and a couple of children and that one salary carried everything that's not true for anybody anymore right but the rules of what's deductible in terms of uh expenses what can you present for a reimbursement report a lot of those were created back then so being aware 
of the fact that these organizations were built when they were built. You can contribute your perspectives by looking at the organization and coming up with ideas about, hey, how can this organization be more supportive of, of me or my community, mm -hmm. whatever that community is, and contributing those ideas to the right people in your organization from the standpoint of not just that you're helping me, but that by doing this, you're actually expanding my ability to serve uh, in this organization. So that's any individual at any level can look at the organization with that lens and say, what are the opportunities here to improve my ability to perform, my ability to be on a solid foundation, to be the best that mm -hmm. I can be, and providing that feedback. As you move up through the organization, if you're a manager, you can basically pay more attention to the different voices around you and truly listen and look for learning opportunities. Look for where your blind spots are that someone else can fill in. And that goes through all the way up to the top of the organization. If you're in an organization, you're in a leadership group, and you've got a meeting of all your key people that are there, even if you're head of HR is, let's say, a woman, and your head of operations is a black man and so forth, you still don't have all the perspectives in the room because different women, depending on their socioeconomic conditions, have different things going on in their lives that are obstacles or opportunities that can be either leveraged or need to be addressed in order for that person to be fully uh, engaged. So you have to look for different ways to listen to those different pockets mm -hmm. and to connect with those different pockets if you're in leadership so that even though everybody's not at the table, you can hear all the voices. And if you're in the organization, as I mentioned before, make sure your voice is heard and look for those opportunities to improve the way that the organization can support you and your community in being successful in helping the whole overall organization to be successful. Wonderful, wonderful. And, and I hear a thread here. Uh, open your ears and open your eyes. Yes, yes. That is a, that is a good, succinct way of putting it. <laughs> open your ears, open your eyes, uh, regardless of where you are in the organization. Your voice is important and your voice can help all of us to do better. Mm -hmm. Indeed. Joe, thank you so much for being part of, uh, of this podcast. I've really, really enjoyed our conversation. I can't wait uh, to listen to more of your episodes as well. Um, and again, once more, thank you so much. My pleasure, Julian. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others. Post about it on social media or leave a rating and review. We'd love to hear from you. To catch all the latest from us, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook or YouTube at As Diverse As Two Peas In A Pod. Thanks again and I'll see you next time.